It's time for mystery. Mystery Radio X X X All right, Shane, think yourself out of this. Jasper will have that dog down in just another second. There'll be nothing between you and his sort of shotgun but air. Think fast, Shane, because... The New Adventures of Michael Shane, Private Detective. This is your director, Bill Russo, inviting you to listen to Michael Shane, that reckless, red-headed Irishman, back at his old haunts in New Orleans, in another transcribed episode. We call it The Case of the Phantom Gun. Yes? Oh, Mr. Shane, come on in. I wasn't expecting anybody. I want to be a minute. I just dropped by to tell you I finished your job. You... You found out? Yep. Well... No, Mrs. Kinney, your husband isn't seeing another woman on the night she stays away from home. Oh, thank you, Mr. Shane. I just... What are you doing? I suggest you keep him home nights. Mr. Shane, what do you mean? Look, you hired me to find out if he's running around with another woman. Well, I found out. He isn't. Now, Mrs. Kinney, if you don't mind, I'll... Well, the way you're evading it, I... Well, you just can't walk out on me. If Dick is in some sort of trouble, I... Oh, I should always... Oh, my just... Look, uh, I didn't want your case in the first place, but you looked like a good kid, and I didn't like the idea of some guy pushing you around. Well, I... I don't understand. I've only been on the case three days, Mrs. Kinney. But from the very beginning, I've been getting phone calls from a character who's been warning me they'd find my head in a basket if I didn't lay off. Well, well what could Dick be doing that would possibly... This morning. This morning, I couldn't get into my office with the stuff piled knee-high all over the place. Now, my furniture isn't exactly Chippendale, but it does have a sentimental value. And as for my files, they look like the morning after Mardi Gras. You're... Office was ransacked? Yeah, it looked more like the Ringling Brothers would use it as a detention room for naughty elephants. Well, certainly Dick had nothing to do with that. I'm not on any other case, Mrs. Kinney, and the gal who cleans up doesn't know any elephants. But I, I just don't understand. If Dick really is in trouble, why do you... Look, can you understand me? Keep Dickie at home. But why? Why, Mr. Shane? All right. I'll tell you. Then it's your problem. Your husband has picked up an unsavory playmate. He's up to his clavicle in some very hot blackmail. And if I'm any judge, his clavicle is about to be chopped off. In a moment, we'll return to the adventures of Michael Shane and the case of the Phantom Gun. Recipe for trouble? Take one part shame, add a pretty young thing in trouble up to her ears through no fault of her own, mix well in a solution of tears, and you have a guy who let his emotions sway his good judgment. Something I do as often as a police commissioner treats me to a steak dinner. Now, Phyllis Kinney had hired me to find out if her husband was too timely. He wasn't, but he'd gotten himself mixed up with a character named Jasper. This Jasper was following his usual routine, getting close to his blackmail victim by working for him. In this case, he was the gardener at the Duval estate. And that's how Dick Kinney got mixed up with him. Dick was the Duval chauffeur. 
What made it pretty clear something was in the air was what happened after I'd stuck my nose in there just briefly. I got threatening phone calls and a cyclone hit my office. Typical Jasper stunts. Anyway, I agreed to try talking some horse sense into young Dick Kinney before I bowed out of the case. It was getting dark when I pulled up outside the ancestral grounds of the Duval Estate. I walked up the gravel driveway toward the house. Couldn't see a car anywhere in front, but there were lights on in the house, so chances were Dick was around back. Hello there. Uh, oh, hello. I haven't seen you before, have I? Mm. Mm, yourself. You'd remember if you had. Nice. Everything nice. Even the hair. Nice and red. You wouldn't be Mrs. Duvall, would you? You read the society page. No, this was on the front page. Oh, that. Wasn't that nasty of me? 62 marrying 22, that kind of thing. I'm glad I'm 22. Come here. Thanks. Yeah. Kind of impulsive, aren't you? I don't believe in stifling inhibitions. It's unhealthy, Mr. Shame. Did you come here to see my husband? No, I just want to work with Dick Kinney, your chauffeur. Dick? He's pretty, too. He's around back somewhere, probably in the garage. Uh, got to stick around a while? No. Oh, too bad. I'll see you again, Mr. Shane. Goodbye. She ran off like the young animal she was, disappeared into the house. When I got around to the back of the house, I saw a light burning in the four-car garage and walked in. Somebody in coveralls was working on a town and country. He must have heard me come in because he pulled his head out of the motor and looked up. A blonde, wavy hair, blue eyes, and a weak mouth matched the picture on Phyllis Kinney's mantle. I started to say, you're Dick Kinney, aren't... When I saw Kinney's eyes get wide, I wheeled around, I caught a glimpse of an upraised arm, and then... Oh. The roof fell in. Plowed me under. And then I smelled gasoline. One big ache, all over. I opened my eyes just in time to see the heel of a shoe come down on my face. Then it was nothing for a while. The smell of dust and blood, leather and blood, and gasoline and blood crept back into my nose. I opened my eyes again. It was pitch dark. The roaring in my head blended with the low hum of the motor. I was on the floor of a car. We were driving somewhere. I jounced around like I was on a mechanical horse and out of time with the bucking. Then the car stopped. The door was open. I was yanked out by my ankles and my head bounced as it hit the ground. I waited for something to happen. It did. I didn't feel any new pains. I was lying on the grass and it was cold with a little dew on it. Maybe the shots weren't for me. You were told, Shane. You were told and you didn't behave. Now you're in the soup, but good. Jasper, I recognize your voice anyway. Would you, Shane? Maybe there'll be bells in your ears tomorrow, Shane. Maybe you won't hear so good. You're making a mistake, Jasper. You're getting me interested. You don't shut up. They felt like little taps. Till I tasted shoe leather in my mouth. Blood again. Then I didn't taste or smell or think anymore.
moon was gone and I was cold. My face felt stiff and every bone in my body hurt. I got to my feet and looked around. It was pretty dark. I thought about my nice warm apartment. Thought cheered me up a little. Then I saw him. It was the kid, Dick Kinney. He was lying on his stomach, face down. He wasn't breathing. I wondered briefly why I was still alive. Only it was too much of an effort. I wanted to lick my wounds and go to bed and sleep off the nightmare I'd just gone through. I kept telling myself as I started home, call headquarters, report the murder. But I don't think I did. Do a favor and get kicked in the teeth. I was so stiff the next morning, it took me five minutes to ease myself out of bed. I hobbled into my car and drove downtown, then hobbled up to my 10 by 14 office. I picked up a package the mailman had left with some circulars and bills and went inside. The cleaning woman had managed to make some sort of order out of the place. I eased myself into my chair, tossed the circulars and bills into the wastebasket, and turned to the package. It bore a New Orleans postmark, but no return address. I tore it open. It grinned up at me and seemed to say, Boy, are you stupid, Shane. It was a Colt 38, nice and clean and just oil. I reached for the lower left-hand drawer of my desk, but I knew I was wasting my time. This was my gun. Yeah, empty. I hadn't checked it when I found my office torn apart. I thought, Shane, you're losing your grip. What's the angle? Not being knocked off last night, and then this. What's the build-up for? Well, I didn't have to wait for an answer. Hi, uh, Shane. Hello, Lieutenant. What happened to your face? I got a nervous barber. You want to take a little trip? No, I'm not up to it. Force yourself. And uh, that gun will take that along. What's up, Fletcher? A tip. And what? A kid was found shot to death this morning. Dick Kinney. Do you know him? Yeah, I heard of him. I had it in mind to call and report it. Yeah. Let's have the gun. Uh-huh. 38. Kinney was shot with a 38. Well, there were 38s and 38. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's go. This tip was pretty definite. <laughs> thing was going too fast for me. Maybe I was wrong all along. Jasper wasn't that kind of an operator. He hadn't messed with murder before, as far as I knew. Maybe I'd stepped into something. That, that 38. Okay, Shane, let's talk. Did you test the gun? Yeah. Dick Kenny was killed with it. And I told you somebody swiped it from me. Yeah, yeah, you told me. But you didn't report it when it was stolen. I didn't know it was stolen. You can do better than that, Shane. Look, Lieutenant, I got it in the mail this morning. You said you were going to report the murder. You were with Kenny last night about 9 o'clock. I told you how it was. The marks on your face don't lie, Shane. Neither does ballistics. Two slugs and Kenny match with slugs from your gun. The gun was nice and clean and just oiled. But I tell you, it was in the mail. It came in the first delivery. All right, Shane. Let's go back to your office and take a look at that wrapper. Yeah, yeah, sure. Now you're using your head, Lieutenant. Thanks. Okay, Lieutenant, I threw the wrapper right into the wastebasket here now. Oh, no. What? The cleaning woman must have emptied it out. Oh, now, okay, Shane, I think we've reached the end of this little... Oh, wait, circuit. wait, we can try outside. Maybe they haven't picked up the trash yet. You uh, know that's against the law, littering the street like that. Yeah, yeah. Bend down and help me go through this stuff here. It's a brown wrapper. Okay. I don't know what this will prove anyway. All it can do is establish you getting a package this morning. Yeah, yeah, I got it. Yeah, let's see. Okay, Lieutenant, take a look at the postmark. And that's it. All in, 3 p.m., April 12th. And that's yesterday afternoon, all right? Yeah. 
The package with my gun in it was mailed yesterday afternoon at 3 o'clock, and I got it this morning at a quarter to 9. You know, Shane, ballistics is like fingerprints. No two of them alike. Then you made a mistake. I didn't make a mistake. Maybe you did. It just doesn't add up. It couldn't have been my gun that killed Kenny. The gun was in the United States mail at the time he was shot. That's what you say. How do I know your gun was in that package? But I'm telling you... All I know is that in the history of the police department, ballistics has never been wrong. You admit being with him when he was killed, your gun killed him. There's only one answer, Shane, and you're it. In a moment, we'll return to the adventures of Michael Shane and the case of the Phantom Gun. I was in a spot and I talked fast. I'd taken a little case and it got away from me. Phyllis Kinney wondered whether her husband was spending his nights with other women after he got through with his chores as chauffeur for the Duvals. And because I could use the fee, I looked into it. I found out he'd gotten chummy with a character named Jasper, who worked on the Duval estate as God. But Jasper's real trade was blackmail. I went to warn young Kinney to lay off and wound up with a headache. The kid was knocked off in an open spot on the bank of the Mississippi, and my gun apparently was a murder weapon. Only I didn't have the gun at the time. It was in the United States mails. Another item that kept my fat head in the fire was that I was along on the junket, albeit semi-conscious. Lieutenant Fletcher of the New Orleans homicide detail had a point. Look, Shane, the bullets that killed young Kenny came from your gun. You can't shake that. You say the gun came through the mail this morning and that it was in the mail since yesterday afternoon. I admit it doesn't add up, but Ballistics I'm... don't lie. You gonna book me? I'm considering it. What'll that get you? Look, I've got an idea. You can tell me your idea. Well, it's speculation. That's all it is. Now. We speculate fine downtown. Okay, Fletcher. If that's the way it is, I'm clamming up. We've been too easy on you guys. All we get is a swift... Pattern. I don't know what you're complaining about. All I want to do is follow a trailer to wrap the whole thing up for you. All right, Shane. This is against my better judgment, but you've got just eight hours to find something. Thanks, Lieutenant. Just don't try to leave town. I might as well tell you we're going right ahead fitting your neck for a noose. One thing I knew. One thing I was sure. That gun was in the mail when Kinney was shot. Like the lieutenant said, ballistics don't lie. No two bores make the same marks on a bullet. It's one in a hundred billion. It just doesn't happen. Whoever figured this out was a smart cookie. The first thing I wanted to do was speak to old man Duval. Yes, Mr. Shane? Mr. Duval? That's right. What can I do for you? It's what I can do for you. Oh, Who's putting a bite on you? I beg your pardon? Did you know your chauffeur, Dick Kinney, was shot last night? Yes. The policeman here? I don't see what business that is of yours. I got my fingers burnt. I was taken along for the ride. Oh. And that reference to, uh, to, uh... Blackmail. You're a private detective. That's right. I don't understand your connection. I was checking up on Dick Kinney. For what? Something else. It, uh... Doesn't fit in with your problem. Now, Mr. Shane, I'm rather busy. You're not too busy, Mr. Duval. Dick Kinney was blackmailing you, and Dick Kinney was killed last night. Go on, Mr. Shane. You want to tell me about it? Tell you? Tell you what? What the blackmail was about. It seems to me you've made a lot of suppositions. I don't know why you got your information, but it doesn't resemble anything I am aware of. <laughs> okay, Mr. Duval, you've got a right to your own mistakes. Good day, Mr. Shane. Oh, uh, where's your wife? Good day, Mr. Shane. Shane, you're a whiz-bang, you are. And Armand Duval is charming. Judith, his sprightly wife, is ugly. And Lieutenant is full of milk and honey, and the character Jasper is sweetness and light. 
And you, Shane, are the brilliant, the distinguished man about town. Detective par excellence. Yeah, I hear you've been scouting the setup for four days. You had a seat on the 50-yard line. Even had your own head used as a football, and you still don't know the score. Oh, yeah, you're a sharp. Now all you have to do is wait behind the potted petunias until the suspect plants his hoofprint in the low. Well, as I left the Duval Castle and started toward the back of the house to pay my respects to Jasper, Judith popped out from behind a weeping willow. You aren't leaving without uh, seeing me, Michael, were you? Well, leaving wasn't my idea. Your husband... Oh, yes. Come on, Michael. There's a bench behind this willow tree. I'd like you to uh, know me better. That sounds like a worthy project. What's happened to you? Your face looks it like... It came out second best in a tussle with a toe of your gardener, size 11. Size but... 10 and a half, Shane. Ah. Behind me again, huh? That's all right. Lift them. Jasper, what are you doing? Just checking, Mrs. Duvall. Uh, no gun, Shane? No gun. All the odds are with you again, Jasper. <laughs> yeah, I've been getting an idea, a swell idea. Yeah, you've had lots of them lately. Things are breaking my way for a change. Jasper, put that gun away. Uh-uh, Mrs. Duvall, this is the payoff. We're going to have an audience with the boss. Come on, both of you. Where'd you get that museum piece, Jasper? You like it? Just a shotgun. A little sawed off. Covers lots more territory that way. Let's go. What is this, Jasper? <laughs> little idea, sir. Everything was going so smooth and nice, I thought it's a pity if anything should happen. And then I thought this idea, I thought. And it's a pit. You, you, you got a gun? Yeah. It's now, Mrs. Duvall. I think you're making a mistake, Jasper. Mistake, mistake. I ain't made one yet, and I've been in the business a long time. I said, sit down. I refuse to have you. <laughs> Jasper, you... Here we are, Shane. Hey, you're real brave with a gun. Judith. She's unconscious. Her jabbering was getting on my nerves. What do you intend to do? <laughs> it's a perfect setup. Shane is going to take the rap. For what? For Kenny's murder, Shane. It's like you're going to take the rap for Duvall's. Uh, you're going to kill me? Sure. You paid off Kenny five grand yesterday. That's chicken feed. Yeah. Kenny was your go-between. That's why you bumped him. That's right, Shane. I don't like to think I got a split with anybody. Now, wait a minute, Jasper. We, we, we can come to terms, I'm sure. Uh-uh. This is too perfect. No. No, don't! <laughs> I knocked the gun out of his hand and it went skittering across the floor. But he was a lot closer to it than I was and on his way for it already. I thought he who fights and runs away and I slammed the door behind me and started for the front. I got lost or something, wound up in the kitchen. I went through it and out onto the rear veranda. I knew if I started across the lawn I wouldn't have time to get to cover. I went back into the house through French windows with Jasper panning along behind me. Through the library and a big double-width staircase that led up to the top floor. I took it three at a time. Jasper was just rounding the first bend behind me when I reached the top. It splendid, the beautiful wall paneling, but I didn't stop to survey the damage. I turned right and disappeared into the master bedroom at the end of the hall, just as another shot spurred me on. The room was done up in purple and rose. I guess it was very pretty under different circumstances. There was a door at the far end, and I scooted into it and threw it shut behind me, and then I turned the lock bathroom. I didn't even have time to look for an aspirin tablet in the medicine chest when the hammering started. I said to myself, all right, Shane, keep your head. You gotta think yourself out of this one. 
Because on the other side of that door, Jasper's waiting for you. And the way that door is splintering up now, it doesn't look as if the wood is as stout as you're craving to keep on living. Gotcha, Shane! Gotcha! He'd splintered out the middle panel. Now his hand filled the hole and the gun filled his hand. Any second... He didn't feel anything. Maybe he never do. Maybe it was all over. Then the fingers of Jasper's hand got limp and the gun fell onto the tile floor. I opened the door. It was Judith Deval. She stood in the center of the room and a thin thread of dried blood was on her chin. And the gun in her hand was pointed at Jasper, curled up on the floor. In a moment, we'll be back with the thrilling climax to tonight's Michael Shane adventure. Well, the bullets in Armand Deval came from your gun also, Shane. That's what I thought, Lieutenant. But your gun's been in my desk all afternoon. Just like last night when Dick Kenny was shot. My gun was in the mail. You got a theory? Sure. Well, I think you killed Deval. Huh? Oh, you slay me, Shane. <laughs> Did you inspect that sawed-off shotgun? Yeah, the boys are going over it now. Why? Well, I told you my office was ransacked and my gun was stolen. What was to prevent Jasper from firing a half a dozen bullets into some pillows, cleaning the gun, and sending it back to me? Nothing if he wanted to. Sure he'd want to. If he figured on putting those bullets in a gadget that would fit into the chamber of the shotgun and hold the bullets, yeah. then he could fire them through a much larger bore than my thirty-eight. Yeah, hey, that would work, wouldn't it? The bore of a shotgun is so large that it wouldn't mark up the bullet. Yeah, and would leave the original rifling marks from my gun. The only reason Jasper didn't finish me off last night was because he figured I'd take the rap for Dick Kinney's murder. Yeah, that makes sense, too. I wouldn't have had a close shave this afternoon if I'd ever learned to keep my big mouth shut. I told Jasper my gun was in police headquarters after he killed DeVal. Then he realized what I should have thought of, that I couldn't be framed for DeVal's killing through my gun. That's why he went after me. And where are you going? I got a little unfinished business. I'll be back. It was pretty simple when you knew the background. Jasper got a job as a gardener because he wanted to be close to his blackmail victim, Duval. He'd got Dick Kinney to front for him and then killed the boy so he wouldn't have to split. It all tied together that way. All except one little item. I was going to find out about that. Judith was waiting for me in the Duval library. Mike. Oh, Mike. Now, before we settle down and get comfortable, sweetheart, I got a little confession. What do I care what you want to confess? Oh, Mike, it's going to be wonderful. Just you and me. Now, this confession's about you. All right, what? What is it? I thought for one solid three-minute period you were true blue and a yard wide. Hmm? When you shot Jasper. Now, it wasn't so much to save my life, sweetheart, as it was to get rid of him. Tell me, did Jasper pick you or did you pick Jasper? Mike, what are you talking about? That gun trick. That's way over Jasper's head. He could never think of a thing like that. Oh, let's not talk about Jasper. And why would Jasper kill your husband if he's the one who was being blackmailed? Was he, Mike? No, dice, baby. What are you thinking? It's pretty clear, Judith. You put Jasper up to getting money from your husband. And Jasper saw a wonderful opportunity. He didn't have to nibble at Duval. He wanted half of the money all at once. As Duval's widow, you get the money, don't you? Mike. Maybe he'd even bleed you to death for the other half, too. He was sitting pretty until everything fell into place for you. Mike, listen. 
There are wonderful things from now on. I've got money. We can have all the good things. We can enjoy them, darling, together. Yeah. Let's go, baby. Where? Where to, Mike? Police headquarters. This is where I came in. I always meet the right woman at the wrong time. I figured that tied everything up. But not quite. It turned out that the blackmail angle had to do with Duval not having a final divorce from his first wife when he married Judith. Judith was the only one who knew it. She contacted Jasper and worked him in on the deal. Very cute. Because when that came out, Judith lost her right to Duval's millions. But then, what could she spend money on where she was going? The New Adventures of Michael Shane is a Don W. Sharp production, transcribed in Hollywood and distributed exclusively by the Broadcasters Guild. And now, another mystery on Mystery Radio X. Murder by Experts. The Mutual Broadcasting System presents Murder by Experts with your host and narrator, the noted mystery writer, Brett Halliday. Mr. Halliday is creator of the world-famous detective character, Michael Shane, author of 25 mystery novels, and whose latest work, This Is It, Michael Shane, has just been published. This is Brett Halliday. Each week at this time, Murder by Experts brings you a story of crime and mystery which has been chosen for your approval by one of the world's leading detective story writers. This time, our guest expert is the noted mystery novelist Lenore Glenn Offord. From her wide knowledge of the field of mystery... Miss Offord has chosen a tense and dramatic tale of a man who found himself enmeshed in a web of jealousy and violence with an ending he didn't foresee, as written by George and Gertrude Fass. And now we present John Sylvester and Joyce Gordon in Freeze a Crowd. <laughs> suitcase full of clothes and a hundred arrangements of pop tunes sure can get heavy on a hot day. My arms felt as if they'd been unhinged at the joints by the time I'd walked a mile from the main road to the hedge hop inn. It was a long, low, white building, sitting back about a hundred feet from the road. This was it. The roadhouse where I would spend the next three months pounding the ivories. At this hour of the morning, the entrance hall was empty. And so was the dining room. I walked straight through and pushed open a swinging door that looked as if it might lead into the kitchen. It did. Hello. Oh, hiya. Where will I find Mr. Hedges? Oh, he'll be around. You the new piano player? That's right. Dick Starr's the name. Oh, Gus Peters. I'm a cook. Oh, glad to know you, Gus. Rest your weary limbs. Thanks. He didn't meet you at the bus stop, right? Nope. Yeah, knew he wouldn't. 
important things to tend to. Well, how about a cold beer? You look as if you need it. Uh, no beer, thanks. Well, I'll have a glass of milk if it's handy. And a sandwich. Milk? You, uh, you sure you're the new piano player? Well, I said I was. So Hedges had more important things to do than to meet me, huh? Yeah, his wife keeps him on a jumper. His wife? Yeah. Doesn't let her out of his sight. She went to town to do the marketing this morning. He followed her, most likely. Well, why would he want to do that? Don't trust her, that's why. Jealous. You want some free advice, son? Yeah, okay. Stay away from her. Far away. Ah, that won't be hard. No. Well, maybe you'll change your mind when you see her. Why do you suppose we've been having such a fast turnover in piano players? <laughs> None of them last more than a week. Ah, uh, listen, Gus, I see plenty of gorgeous gals in my line of work. They don't bother me. Yeah, well, every Napoleon's got his water loose, son. Only two men around here ain't ever been bothered by Alice Hedges. Me, for one, I'm past that kind of foolishness. And the other? Andy Slade. Who's he? You made him your work, sir. How does he manage to resist? You know, I ain't never figured that one out. Except he's just a natural coal fish. Hey, uh, leave your stuff on the porch, Dick? Uh-huh. Well, I'll take it to your room. You're in the attic right next to me. Oh, swell, but never mind lugging up that stuff. Oh, it's all right, son. I'm going up anyway. You just sit here and finish. Gus went out and left me alone with my sandwich and milk. A couple of minutes later, I found out what he'd been driving at. The door from the dining room swung open and a girl came in carrying some packages. She walked over to the table and put them down before she said anything. And I had time to get a good look at what was probably the most beautiful woman I'd ever seen. Hello. You're Dick Starr, aren't you? Yes, I, I am. I'm Alice Hedges. How do you do? Hello. I hope Gus is making you comfortable. My husband didn't meet your bus, did he? I know, I walked I'm awfully sorry. If I'd known, I... Oh, John. Here's Mr. Starr, the new pianist. Mr. Starr, my husband. How are you, Mr. Hedges? Hello, Starr. Alice, go remind Andy to meet me in my office in 15 minutes. Oh, but, John, I'm sure he remembers... Go on, Alice. All right. Listen to me, Starr. You're new here. Yes. Now, get this into your head and get it in good the first time. Stay away from my wife. You can relax, Mr. Hedges. I'm here to play the piano. Well, just so you don't forget, it's the only thing you're here for. Mr. Hedges, I assure you, I haven't the least intention... Oh, now, don't give me that star. I've reached the end of my rope with her. The next man she makes a play for is going to get it. The next man she? You heard me. That's why I'm warning you. Now, if you want to stay healthy, keep clear of her. I said... Enough said. Okay. Now, let's talk about your work. Yes, Mr. Hedges. You play in the dining room from dinner time until 2 a.m. You can take a 10-minute break every hour. Uh-huh. And there won't be a lot of customers in the dining room. Sometimes there may not be any. But you'll play anyway. Oh, that's okay with me. Uh, maybe you'd better get this straight from the start. I don't make my money out of the dining room. Or the bar, either. No? No. I've got the barn fixed up with a dice table and a roulette wheel. Oh. Andy Slade runs that end of it. Now, it's not going to affect you one way or another. Well, I'm not worried, Mr. Hedges. I've played in other clubs where they had gambling rooms. Good, good. We'll get along, Dick. 
Just remember, stick to your piano playing. I intended to. If Hedges wanted to go around thinking his wife was a man chaser, that was his business. Of course he was wrong. All you had to do was look at Alice Hedges to know that she was straight. She'd never come chasing after me. And even if she did, she wouldn't find anyone at home. No, sir. Jobs don't grow on bushes. And I was hanging on to this one. At dinner, I played for two or three couples. And at about ten, the gambling crowd began drifting in. They'd have one drink at the bar and then head out toward the rear where the barn was. I went to have a look during one of my ten-minute breaks. That's when I met Andy Slade. He was tall and good-looking in a hasty way and handled the roulette wheel with an easy air. He grinned when Hedges introduced us. But I felt sure he wouldn't know me again the next time we met. So, this was Andy Slade. The only man outside of old Gus that Hedges could trust. At two in the morning, I quit and went into the kitchen for a glass of milk. Alice was there, alone. Hello, Dick. Did you want something? Uh, uh, no, thanks. I guess I'll be going up to bed. But you must have come in for something. A glass of milk? Don't be bashful. Well... All right, thanks a lot. I suppose my husband told you. Told me what? That I'm no good. He did, didn't he? Oh, he... Not nothing like that. No use, Dick. He tells everybody. Well, he might, he might have said something, but I just let it blow over my head. What do you think, Dick? About me, I mean. From what you've seen of me. Do I look like that kind? Well, certainly not. You, you look like a nice girl to me, Mrs. Hedges. A very nice girl. You really mean that. I know you do. You can't imagine how much it means to me to hear you say that. John is so crazy with jealousy. And he has no reason, absolutely no reason. Makes me so miserable. Always spying on me, always following me. Gosh, that's a shame. Dick, see that lake out there? Yeah. It's big and blue and deep. Someday that's where I'm going. That's one place he won't follow. Oh, don't talk like that, Mrs. Hedges. That's, that's no way to solve anything. Would it really matter to anyone? What? Sure. It wouldn't matter to John. He doesn't love me, really. Jealousy is just sort of a disease. I haven't anyone else. It would matter to me, Mrs. Hedges. You? Yes, it would, even though I never laid eyes on you before this morning. I know what you must be feeling. And I'm sorry for you. You're kind, Dick. You really understand, don't you? Oh, Dick, I need someone to understand me, to, to help me. Gee, I'll be glad to do anything I can on I know there's nothing you can do. But I'll be able to talk to you. And that'll mean so much to me. It will? I need a friend, Dick. I'm glad I found a friend. I went up to my room. But I didn't sleep kept thinking about Alice and what a tough spot she was in and feeling sorry for her and wondering what, what I could do to help. But five hours of tossing didn't help solve her problem any. I got up, washed, shaved, and dressed and started down for breakfast. 
And then I, I noticed a piece of paper lying just inside my door. It was from Alice, asking me to take the rowboat after breakfast and row a mile down the lake. I, I put it into my pocket and went downstairs to the kitchen for breakfast. Maybe uh, you'd better go back to bed, son. I asked you twice if you wanted eggs, and I ain't got an answer yet. Oh, sorry, Gus. <laughs> no, no eggs, thanks. Just some coffee. What, no milk? Where's Mr. Hedges, Gus? Sleeping. He never gets to bed before five. And Mrs. Hedges? Out marketing. Why? Oh, nothing, just that. The old man laid it on the line for you yesterday, huh? Well, so what? I never was interested in another man's wife. She's no exception. Fine. That's fine, son. Uh... Is there a rowboat around, Gus? Yeah, should be uh, one tied up to the dock. Gonna use it? Might as well. Nothing else to do. You uh, piano players are all the same. Nothing else to do, you go rowing. Seems to me it's just back-breaking work and hard in the hands. Well, I like to keep fit. Are the oars in the boat? Yeah. Say, Dick, uh, maybe you'd better uh, chop some wood for exercise. I could use some kindle. <laughs> no, no, thanks. I'm going rowing. A stiff breeze at my back made the going tough. And even though the morning was cool, I'd worked up a good sweat before I'd been out ten minutes. Maybe I'd have done better to have stayed home and chopped kindling for old Gus. But she needed a friend. I couldn't let her down. Finally, I saw a patch of pink moving a little way up the bank. I rode to shore and tied up. Hello. I was beginning to be afraid you weren't coming. Weren't coming? Well, we're friends, aren't we? I know, Dick. I know. I, I just thought perhaps John saw you as you were leaving. Well, even if he did, there's nothing wrong with going out for a little row. He'd see something wrong in it. He saw something wrong in your coming into the kitchen last night. He knew about that? But he was in the bar. He knew. He always knew. He was furious. But why? It was a coincidence that I met you there. It wasn't as if we'd planned to meet. Of course, that's what I told him. But he wouldn't believe me. He said if he ever caught us together again, he'd throw you out the same day. You're right, Alice. That kind of jealousy isn't normal. It must be terrible for you. It is. It is. But I didn't ask you to come here just to cry on your shoulder. I wanted to warn you. Dick, you need this job, don't you? Yes, I do, kind of. That's what I thought. Then you must go out of your way to avoid me. Don't even talk to me. Just ignore me as if I didn't exist. I, I, I hate to do that, Alice. You said you needed a friend, someone to talk to. That's all right, Dick. I, I guess I'll get used to this kind of life. Oh, promise me you'll do as I say. It's the only way to keep your job here. Really, it is. Is that the way Slade keeps his job? Slade. He doesn't have to pretend indifference. We took a dislike to each other the moment we met. John noticed it right away and decided to keep him no matter what his demands were. I see. Slade makes more than we do out of the roulette table. But he hates me. And that entitles him to anything he wants as far as John's concerned. Well, Alice, I, I can't hate you even to please a crazy, jealous husband. Dick, please. Please try to make him think you do. I'll help you. I'll avoid you, too. And go on living in solitary confinement? But... But look, this is America, Alice. This is the 20th century. That man has no right to keep you a prisoner in your own house. I mean, you're a woman, not, not, not a piece of property. Dick, it's no use. There's nothing I can do. There sure is. You can leave him. 
I can't leave him. He'd follow me. He'd bring me back or, or kill me. Oh, Dick, I'm lost. I'm lost. You've been sitting side by side on a log. Now Alice covered her face with her hands. I put my arm around her. And then she turned and buried her face in my shoulder. Oh, Dick. Dick. Don't worry, Alice. I'll get you out of this. I'll think of a way. Don't worry, baby. Alice driving the car got back to the inn sooner than I did in the rowboat. Gus winked at me when I walked into the kitchen and nodded toward the dining room. Through the closed door, I heard their voices. I think you're a rotten liar. You couldn't have spent two hours in town shopping, no matter how crowded it was. Who'd you see when you got there? What man were you sweet-talking to this time? I swear, I didn't talk to any man in town, John. Oh, you're a liar, and you're a two-timer. <laughs> I'll show you. And low down. Take it easy, son. I'll break his neck. Don't be a fool. You know he ain't altogether wrong, don't you? He is wrong. He's a lunatic. That's what he is. Well, maybe he is and maybe he ain't. But she's his wife and you've got no call button in. I'll butt in, all right. In my own time and in my own way. I didn't see or hear from Alice again that day. I knew it wasn't because she wanted to avoid me. She was doing it for my sake, to keep me out of hot water. But the next morning, a fella had to see her. And I had a hunch she wouldn't be too hard to find. After breakfast, I went down to the boat dock. The boat was there, but the oars were missing. I went back to the kitchen and asked Gus where they were. Oh, the oars, eh? Well, it's a funny thing about them... I, uh, I happen to notice that they had something wrong with them. I figured if you use them again, you might get hurt. So I just put them where they won't cause no trouble. No, stop being smart, Gus. Let's have them. Look, what's the sense of getting blisters on your hands? You stay close to home, son. You'll be better off. I'm not worried about a few blisters. Well, then let me tell you something. Hedges took the other car and followed his wife this morning. Still want them oars, Dick? I walked out on him and let the porch door slam behind me. I'd wanted to tell Alice about the idea that had come to me at about three that morning. It was so simple, I couldn't understand why it hadn't popped into my head the minute I was sure that Alice had to be rid of that man. Gambling was illegal. If Hedges was in jail, he couldn't bother Alice, could he? I went out to the public phone booth in the bar and called the police and told them about the gambling going on in the barn over at Hedge Hop Inn. As simple as that. I was feeling pretty good that night, playing to an empty dining hall and thinking how pretty soon Alice's troubles would all be behind her, with that precious husband of hers safe behind bars. About 11 o'clock, the door from the entrance hall opened, and Alice came in in a fluffy blue evening gown. She walked quickly through the room without stopping. 
But as she passed by my piano on her way to the kitchen, she managed to whisper. On the boat dock, Dick, at 12. I kept on playing as if nothing had happened. But inside me, a voice kept singing. She loves you, Dick. She tried to keep away, but she couldn't. She loves you. She'd never risk a rendezvous on the boat dock if she didn't. She loves you. Just as you love her. At 5 to 12, I was on the dock. It was a night right out of a dream. With the mist over the lake and the moon a pale blur in the starless sky. I was looking out over the inky water when I heard the click of her high heels behind me. And I turned. And she was in my arms and her mouth was pressed hard against mine. It was a long time before either of us could speak. I know how you feel about me, Dick, darling. I know because it happened to me, too, the moment I saw you. I was so afraid you'd believe the things John said and turn against me. I couldn't, I couldn't, sweet. I couldn't believe anything bad about you. Listen, honey, you're going to be free. Do you hear? You're going to be free. What do you mean, Dick? How? Never mind. You'll find out soon enough. Just, just trust me. Oh, I do, I do, Dick. You're so wonderful. Dick. What? Someone's coming. It's John. I'll let him come. Right over here, Hedges, I'm waiting. Oh, you dirty louse. You know better than the rest of those piano-playing Casanovas. Take it easy, Hedges. Dick, be careful. You look like a decent fellow, Star. That's why I warned you. But I say you know better than the rest of them. Look out, Dick! I saw his roundhouse even before Alice screamed, and I beat him to the punch. I... Oh. I'll get you. I warned you. Dick, he has a knife. He was crouching, and there was a wicked seven-inch blade in his right hand. I circled him until I got the lights from the house at my back, and then I backed away. I couldn't fight a knife with my bare fist, and I was going to run for it as soon as I could get Alice away. Alice! Get into the house. Lock yourself in and call the police. You'll be fish bait before they get here, and so will she. I could see him tense for the spring. And then I felt something heavy being pressed into my hands. Use it, Dick. Use it quick. Hedges jumped, and I swung at the same minute. I, I, oh, 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 oh. I must have crushed his skull in because he fell like a sack of flour. In the darkness, I saw Alice bending over him. She stood up slowly. He's dead. You killed him, Dick. He's dead. Don't worry, darling. It'll be all right. It was self-defense. It was either him or me. I know it, Dick, but the police will think it's murder. What do we do? Do? I will. We'll get the police ourselves and tell them just how it happened. That's what we'll do. No, no, no. They won't believe you. We need time, Dick. Time to think. No, that's not good, Alice. If we try to cover up... For my sake. Once the police get here, you're lost. They'll never believe us. What's your idea? Hide him. Get him out of sight. Then we can make up a story. Hide him? Where? I don't know. Wait a minute. His car. It's parked at the end of the dock. Okay. The luggage compartment. Listen. Hmm? I think I hear someone. We stood and listened. But there wasn't a sound except the crickets. Shrilling so loudly, the noise seemed to beat inside my brain. So we dragged Hedge's body off the dock and I carried it to the car. Luckily, there wasn't any blood. I pushed it into the luggage compartment and closed the lid. 
It would be safe there until I could think of something to do with it. Then we separated. I went back to my piano while Alice gave the people gambling in the barn some story about Hedges suddenly getting sick. So, that's what it was like to kill a man. But I wasn't guilty. I wasn't guilty of anything except the natural instinct for self-preservation. No jury would convict a man for trying to save his own life. Then why did I hide the body? I shouldn't have listened to Alice. She was a girl. She didn't understand these things. It was a mistake, a terrible mistake. And then I heard it. The state police. I jumped up from my piano and started for the barn. And then I remembered they weren't coming for me. They were coming to investigate that tip I'd given them about the gambling. So I stayed where I was in the dining room, listening to the racket and commotion as the troopers closed in on the barn. Two minutes went by. And then a police sergeant came in, leading Alice by the arm. No use, Mrs. Hedges. We know your husband's on the grounds, and we're going to find him. So you might as well tell us where he is. I don't know where he is. He must have gotten away. Nobody got away. We've got this place surrounded. Two of my men are looking through the house now. We'll find him if we have to tear the place apart. Who's this? Dick Starr. He plays the piano here. Uh-huh. A sergeant. Would it be all right if I left? I had nothing to do with the gambling. We're taking everybody in, bud. Uh, sergeant, could I talk to you alone for a minute? Sit down over there, Mrs. Hedges. All right, what is it, Starr? Listen, I'm the one who tipped you off about the gambling here. I phoned headquarters this morning. You're not going to pull me in, are you? You tell that to the captain when we get to headquarters. Maybe he'll let you off. My orders are to take everyone, and that's just what I'm going to do. I'll be reasonable, Sergeant. Sorry, that's how it is. In that case... Dick, he's unconscious. Yeah, I've got to get out of here. I've got to get that car away. Do you think you can? I'll have to, or we'll be facing a charge of murder. I'll be back as soon as I've managed it. I slipped out and, keeping to the shadows, made my way to the car. And then they saw me. I got out on the road and stepped on the gas. Behind me, I heard the roar of motorcycles as some of the troopers came after me. I kept my lights off, hoping to lose them in the dark when I hit the highway. But if they couldn't see me, I couldn't see anything at all. The black outside came rushing at me. And suddenly the ground fell away. The last thing I heard was a crash of glass. son? Well, don't talk, son. You're in the hospital and there's a cop just outside the door. You've been out for two days with a skin full of broken bones. Oh, now, just listen careful. I mightn't get another chance to say this. I'm listening. Hedges, they found his body in the car. Oh, they did? You know, I, I saw you stow it into the luggage compartment, son. Funny thing, though. That ain't where they found it. What do you mean? You see, there was no partition between the luggage compartment and the back seat. And it seems that the crash threw you out through the windshield and 
him right up into the front seat across the steering wheel. Neatest trick of the year, I don't mind saying. What? Yeah, that's right. Some fluke, huh? The cops put the cause of Hedges' death down as an auto accident. They don't even have a reckless driving charge against you, son. Only trying to escape arrest. You're practically in the clear. In the clear? Yeah. That's why I've been sitting here for two days waiting for you to come to. Couldn't let you spill the beans. Oh, that's, that's great. That's wonderful. What about ours? Well, you still got her on your mind, eh? Well, I... I hate to tell you this, but you better forget about her. What do you mean? What do you mean, forget about her? We're in love. Yeah, maybe you are. She ain't. She framed that fight with Hedges. Are you crazy? She knew he was following her when she went down to the dock to meet you. She knew he'd pull a knife, and she had the club handy for you to use. She'd come out on top no matter which one of you won. Where is she? Now, son, ain't I telling you? If you killed him, that was okay with her. If he killed you, that wouldn't have bothered her none. She'd have had a fry for her murder. Either way, she was rid of him. Where is she? All right. All right, if you insist. She went away to get married. Yeah, yeah. What? To, to Andy Slade. Slade? I always figured him for a cold fish. That was wrong. It was just an act. An act? Yeah. She set you and them other piano players up as decoys for hedges. But all the time, it was Slade she was after. And so the curtain falls on Three's a Crowd, which was chosen by guest expert... Lenore Glenn Offord. Miss Offord is author of the recently republished mystery novel, The Smiling Tiger. Next week at this time, Murder by Experts brings you a story of three killers and a victim who refused to die, as selected for your approval by one of the world's foremost detective story writers. Until then, this is your host, Brett Halliday, hoping you'll be with us again next week at this time. Program was transcribed. Join us again next time on Mystery Radio X. X. X.